Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to a really special OCC on the continent. Uh, great to be here on a Monday, by the way, and with my sparring partner, Andy Brassel. And Andy, this very special program is about you and your new book, which is a cracker of a story. I've read most of it by now. It's called We Play On, Shakhtar Donetsk Fight for Ukraine, Football and Freedom. Many of us will know what that fight is about by now. But when did you first get interested in the Shakhtar Donetsk story? Well, I guess pre-invasion, certainly, because uh, they started coming into my orbit, Shakhtar, the team and the club, um, in about probably 2007, when I was um, going away to the continent and doing uh, lots of um, covering of, of Champions League Your matches. year in the Champions League. Uh, well, a little bit after that, actually. So um, when I was regularly going out to um, Portugal in, in particular to cover Champions League games, I came across Shakhtar a couple of times. They drew Benfica. Um, they uh, played in Braga as, as, as well. And I think there are a couple of things that, made them stick with me firstly the fact that because they had this way of playing authored by um Michele Luchescu the coach and um to an extent as well as I found out in my writing of the book um the president Rina Akhmatov I think everyone who watched Shakhtar in that period between um so say about 2006 2007 and 2014 2015 you would be struck by it the first time you saw them. It wasn't just the orange strips. It was the way they moved whilst wearing those orange strips. Um, the way they circulated the ball. Almost like, I think I sort of described them like this in the book, almost like the best five-a-side team you've ever seen extrapolated into an 11-a-side format. So it's the, going to be exciting. The way they finished you with that extra pass that you think is superfluous, but it's actually a little fleck of, of genius. And that was the way Luchescu wanted to play. And that, bringing me onto the second part of it, is something he expressed by bringing in loads of Brazilian footballers because he was, Luchescu was and still is um, in his late 70s now. He's, he's a massive fan of the Brazilian game. And he's a fan of Brazil on a cultural level as well. Um, speaks the language, which is very important, the fact that he could speak Portuguese to, to these players to help him settle in and understand what he wanted from them. And the fact that there were so many Portuguese speakers on the staff helped me connect with them as well. Because if you're after a game and you're trying to speak to players from a Ukrainian team, if there aren't many that speak English, it's it's, it's difficult. You know, you, you need an interpreter or such like. But they that, tend to speak Russian. <laughs> that, that, that was never that was that was enough. that was never a problem with 
um, with the Brazilians, obviously, because I already spoke Portuguese. So um, I got to understand a little bit what the club was about, what the playing philosophy was about, what their ambitions were and all that sort of thing. Now, later on, after war breaks out in Donbass in, in, in their region in May 2014, um, about a year after that, I went over to Ukraine um, with The Guardian gave me an opportunity to do a film on them um, with, a, with a, a really great team. And I, I, we went over there and um, we saw them where they were living and training in Kiev. Uh, where Rina Akhmatov, the president, uh, owns a massive hotel called the Hotel Opera, which becomes a central part of their story. And um, th th they were playing in, in Lviv, which is about an hour's flight away, close to the Polish border, about 60, 70 k's from the Polish border. Um, so I got to see them in that context, got to see how this enormous club that had by that point won the UEFA Cup, had made a dent in the Champions League, really wowed people with their football as well. They were kind of this word of mouth sensation, I suppose, amongst European football fans and, and, and journalists to see how they were coping with not just being forced out of their city, but being forced out of their region, forced to the other side of the, the, the country. And I learned a lot making that film and that, that sort of formed the, the, the genesis of the book, but also like a book you can't put down. It's a story you, you can't give up. You know, you need to stay in touch with, you need to stay in contact with because it's, it's so fascinating. And obviously, for the worst possible reasons, it's since escalated. Yeah, talking about a book that you can't put down, you uh, tell the story of Shakhtar Donetsk uh, in the, if you like, shadow of war, but with that preamble that you've already discussed now, which is, there is already a backstory before the war. There is already a backstory which arguably still continues today. That that period when they had the Brazilians, which is how we most of us knew yeah. about Shakhtar Donetsk in European football. There was this Ukrainian team that had half its team certainly was uh, Brazilians. People like Willian before mm. he grew the afro. It's really interesting to see old footage of him playing for them at that time and doing very well as well. But that backstory does that has that continued even though, like you say, they've moved from eastern Ukraine uh, to anywhere else but eastern Ukraine and the war continues in a real sense for Ukrainians. Is, is that backstory, the, the, the coach and the way that they played at that time, is that still part of the, uh, the we play on story for you? Yes and no. Uh, obviously, when full war broke out on 25th of February 2022, when there was the full-scale Russian invasion, um, soon after that, the, the Brazilians all left. Now, uh, the book starts with them in the... Hotel Opera, which is the club's nerve centre, their uh, head of operations, where they're all gathered and Dario Serna, the sporting director, and Roberto De Serbi, the then coach, uh, um, sort of marshalling them all and finding a way out. And after two or three days, they they do find a, a way out. They, they get to the border by bus and, and, and then over the border and um, fly back home to Brazil or wherever else after that. It must have been a nervous time for them. Very so frightening. Distressing, yeah. Very frightening. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different situation, for example, for the Ukrainian players. I spoke at length 
for the book to Taras Stepanenko, the, the, the captain who's just um, got to his 400th game for the club. And um, for him, he wasn't part of that at the Hotel Opera. He was in contact with Deterbi, with Serna, with Akhmatov, the president, because it, he was living in a house with his uh, wife and three children just outside Kiev. And um, I heard the bombs at f f five in the morning and they just got into the basement of, of the house and didn't come out for three days. You know, they're WhatsApping and their friends and family and making sure everyone was okay and staying in touch with the club. But a very different experience to, 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 to them, of course. But, but yes, because the overseas players um, went away, all, all, almost all of the overseas players, the one who stayed was um, Lassina Traore, the Burkinabe striker who came from Ajax in the, in, in the, in the first place. And um, was recovering from a serious knee injury. And when he came back from that, he said, well, they stuck with me when I had my injury, so I'm, I'm going to stick with them. But I, I don't think you could blame any of those players who, who, who went away. And the one really that was the major one to leave was probably Junior Moraes, who um, went back to, to play at Corinthians in Brazil. And for him... He was not just a Brazilian player in Ukraine or at Shakhtar. He became really Ukrainian. You know, he got his Ukrainian passport. He played for the national team. Scored, He's married scored to successfully. as well, was he? Uh, no, uh, no, no, not, 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 not him. One okay. or a couple of the other players were. Um, but um, when they're all there frightened in the Hotel Opera, and they can hear bombs and they don't know what's going on and, they're trying to make contact with various embassies to get them home. The Brazilian embassy weren't really that helpful. It was Junior Moraes who went out onto the streets on his own and went to get food, went to get nappies for the babies of the the the, the, the younger um, kids of, of of some of the players. And when it comes to the point where he says, "Right, I'm going to go," that's the moment where you think this isn't going away in a hurry. You know, he's not someone who's e easily scared. He's not somebody who's chased away. But he's in his 30s and he, he wants to continue his footballing career. And at that point, it's not clear, not just when football's restarting, it's not clear if football's restarting, such as the impact of, of, of the war at that point. It's all about survival. So they'll always retain this link with Brazil. And because they have this reputation in Brazil, not just because of what's happened, but because of the way in, in terms of trophies and, and in terms of some of those big players, like say, like Willian, like Fernandinho, but because they've got a reputation for developing players, for understanding them, for looking after them. And because the president wants to play in a certain way, once the war ends, I'm sure they'll go into the Brazilian market again. Whether they'll be able to go in, into it at the same high level, I think is, is a completely different question because obviously they moved up the strata as they went on because they were bringing in Brazilian players who no one had really heard of at the beginning and then you get to post UEFA Cup win of 2009 a couple of years after that they signed Bernard who's already a big star back home in Brazil they end up spending what 25 million euros on him and that is something that feels like a, a million years ago now we play on sounds like a motto, mm. um, unintentional as it may be, but we do know that the war will end at some point. Yeah. Is that what 
Shakhtar are playing on four? Or I, I think that they're, they're, they're partly playing on for that, but they're also playing on to say, as Dario Serna put it, and I, I think it was a quote that was um, harvested for the, for the dust cover on the book. He said, we're playing on to show that we're still here, that we're still alive, that we're still winning. I think that's the massively important thing. And Serna is someone who was has been at the club for the best part of two decades in as almost uninterrupted as sporting director, player, assistant coach, probably the most iconic player in the club's history. And he's someone who, who doesn't talk all the time, but when he talks, it really has resonance. And he understands the club. He understands the the, the, the philosophy of the club. And that bit about embracing the moment, about existing, however bad the situation is. And he, unfortunately, is someone who understands war really intensely. So um, his grandfather was a refugee in the Second World War after what was happening in former Yugoslavia at the time. Then when the Balkans War starts in the 90s, he's a child and in, in the 80s and 90s, he's a child and he said to me, he could cope with everything about the war because he's just busy getting on and being useful. But the bit where he hears the air raid siren, he's like, all of a sudden, I'm a seven-year-old kid back home in, in, in Yugoslavia as well. And, you know, that's something that became difficult to, 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 to cope with. But the fact that they're still going despite the fact that it should be impossible, that they're showing that you, not just Ukrainian football can carry on, but Ukrainians can carry on at a moment like this. They might have no, no fans in the stadium because you can't gather that many people in a public place. They might have only a number of stadiums that they can use because you need a bomb shelter in that stadium. Mm. They might have occasions in which a game lasts four and a half games because it's interrupted by those air raid sirens. They have to go and hide in the bomb shelter. And then when they're told it, it's time to come out, the two teams and the officials and um, everyone who works for the club and all that can come out. They're all huddled down there together and then they can come out and finish the game. But the fact that they're still getting it done at a, at a time like this is enormously symbolically important because Patrick van Leuven, who's now the coach of, of Shakhtar, remember him saying when he got a job at his previous club, Zoya Luhansk, and he agreed to come back to Ukraine. And this was in wartime. He said, well, when I was told about it, uh, it was, it was sold to me by the club. Like um, the Ukrainian premier league is going to happen, but it's going to be in Poland or whatever. And then president Zelensky comes in and goes, no, 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 no. If we're going to carry on, it has to be in Ukraine. However difficult it is, how many obstacles there are, we have to show that we are Ukrainians exercising our right to live, exist, and play football here in Ukraine. And you tell that story so well through interviews, as I understand it, because obviously mm. you weren't there for a, a lot of those dramatic moments, but it's been nine years now of being on the road yeah, you know, with all due respect to Jack Kerouac, etc., this is your proper on the road mm. of a football team that don't have a home. So, where do you do those interviews? Where is their nominal home at any one point, 
or have there been several different homes during the course of the book? Several different ones, um, because I, I, I mean, I knew Ukraine quite well already before this already happened. I mean, Kiev is like probably like about half a dozen cities that I can think of where I know well enough to walk around, know where I'd like to go to eat or meet friends or or, or whatever, and that's why it's one of those things that's so hard to to, to, to sort of process and accept really uh, anywhere in the world where anyone's going through this situation is, is just unacceptable and shouldn't be happening but when it's a place you know obviously it hits a little bit different and I, I don't I don't think that's abnormal so I already had that understanding of, of Ukraine to a level and then, as I said, I went back to uh, do this film, and I'd, I'd been going to to games there for for, for years on, on and off. Now, of course, since the full scale invasion, it's become more difficult. So, uh, you know, Shakhtar obviously played their Champions League games last season in in Poland in Warsaw. So I spent some time with them there and spoke to some players there as well. They still have their and in common with most of the Ukrainian Premier League, they have their mid-season training camps in, in Turkey. So I went out to Turkey to speak to them over there as well. Um, the Shakhtar Hotel was amazing. I stayed in a hotel with a team that were ninth in the Ukrainian Premier League <laughs> and I was shunted out of the gym when they wanted to do training as well. Of course, why not? But, um, <laughs> you either pay to play the game or you get paid to play the game. Exactly, exactly. I, I thought, right, I'm going to stand and do some weights next to some guy who's not a footballer it was it turned out i was stood next to an uzbek weightlifter so it was still quite unflattering <laughs> to me but you know anyone who was anyone in the ukrainian premier league was there i think i said in the book it's, it's a little bit like when new yorkers go up to the hamptons for the for, for, for the summer it's almost the social and cultural exchange aspect of it is quite important and for them it was really important because after everything had changed after all the displacement, um, the worry, the having to see their families go and stay somewhere safer in many occasions. So a lot of these players are away from their families at the moment while they continue to play. Them all being in Turkey mid-season, because of course, because of the winter, they have this three-month-long winter break. It felt like normal. You know, it was almost some sort of grounding in routine, which you sense was really helpful to them. On the other hand, the cultural mismatch was the fact that Turkey is one of those places that still, and that part of Turkey, uh, Antalya, is one of those places that still welcomes Russian tourists. So you had a few confrontations along the way and a fair bit of tension. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Well, it's an emotional book at times, not least when you say that Shakhtar Donetsk are... Ukraine's uh, football team, or at least they represent the entire country. Yeah. Um, and they didn't always. Yeah, and arguably they do more so than the national team, although the national team is everybody's second favourite team globally. Yeah. Um, with Shakhtar Donetsk, you actually get a feeling that they might win something if they're not careful, and they might win something with these younger players who clearly have a greater mission at hand. They want to represent Shakhtar. That's why I say it gets emotional, because you're talking about kids, but the kids being more than just footballers. Yeah, you know, I think that's fair. They're the soul of the nation, almost. When you wrote about some of those youngsters, then I started feeling like, oh, my goodness. I do hope that they win. I hope that they win the Champions League. Not just for themselves, not just for their team, not just for their country to a certain extent, but primarily for their country, but also for all of us, because it, it would say something uh, unique, not just about war and their fight against war, but also about football. There's something in this story that is the purest football story. I think there is. And it's, it's something that it's about, it's about small victories as much as anything else. Small victories that are big victories, like the ability to actually turn up and play in the Champions League when it, it, it doesn't look possible. Um, and now, having done that in, in Warsaw, they're doing that in Hamburg this season. And, um, you know, I, I know that the club thought that basically they wanted to take it to a different market, spread the, the word of Ukraine and the fact Global that Ukrainian message. football's carried on. Yeah, exactly. That message is really important. That visibility is really important in front of a new audience that is hungry for football, hungry for Champions League football, mm -hmm. because obviously Hamburg's former European Cup winner, but not been in it for ages. They got 45,000 for their first game in, in Hamburg against Porto in, in the Champions League, which is phenomenal. And bear in mind, the capacity was 30 in Warsaw last season. But in, in terms of them representing, obviously, in terms of representing Ukraine, Globally, the Ukrainian national team is the pinnacle. There's no doubt about that. But, of course, club football is omnipresent. That's what we have week to week to week. And for them to be in the Champions League is massively important. And because they've been away through no fault of their own from Donetsk for so long, 
I, I think Andrew Todos, the Anglo-Ukrainian journalist, made a great point to me. It's like it's almost like they're they're Shakhtar more than they're Shakhtar Donetsk now. Mm. They're, they're referred to just as Shakhtar, and I think part of it's a thawing of relations over time because when they first arrived in the west of of Ukraine, they were treated with quite hostility, you know, because a lot of Ukrainians didn't know how to take them. They're like, okay, are you Russian? Are you Ukrainian? What's, what's, what's the deal? And um, I don't think people understand, a lot of people in Ukraine even didn't understand what the players in the club had, had, had been through to be forced out of their homes. But that thought over time, they went from Lviv to playing Kharkiv and then eventually in Kiev, which definitely wouldn't have been possible mm. at the beginning. But it had a positive impact on the players' lives because they already lived in Kiev, they spend more time with, with, with their families if they were just playing in the same city. It made a massive like, mental health impact on them as well as giving them time back in their lives, which is important for any person to be able to spend time with your families as well as spending like, loads of time traveling to and from work when they were taking 100 and 150 flights um, when you go back to the beginning of that in 2014, 2015. Um, but now I, I think because they're visible in the Champions League at the point where the full-scale invasion broke out. And because all the Brazilians moved out, so you have this very young team, through necessity rather than philosophy, it has helped Ukrainians all over Ukraine and all over Europe relate to Shakhtar in maybe a way that they couldn't quite before. Because all of a sudden, you're not cheering for the oligarchs team you're fighting for the little man who's representing your country. That's what it is, isn't it? And even though they might be more like Shakhtar now, they still insist, don't they, that they are Shakhtar Donetsk. Yes. They're going to return to Donetsk always, at some point. Always insistent on that. Yeah. Always insistent yeah. on that. Um, I said it was emotional for me reading it at times. It must have been emotional for you at times reading it, not only knowing the landscape, but having spoken to some of these footballers and having spoken to the coaches having spoken to the people that represent Shakhtar. Yeah, and it, it was, it was. And I, I think more than anything, though, I felt like a real sense of responsibility writing this story. Because I think we're very lucky to work in football and work in sports, doing something that for most people is a hobby that we get to do as a job. I, I, there's not a day where I, I don't think about that. There's not a day when I don't think how lucky I am. But here, it's different because a lot of days in my working life, I do stuff that I like to do. And I liked to do this, but I felt compelled to do this in a way that I don't always feel compelled to do stuff. I just do it because I enjoy it and it's of interest to me. I enjoyed this and it was of interest to me, but I definitely felt like I had to do it. It wasn't that long since I'd finished my last book and I felt really the last thing I wanted to do was write another book. But it had to be now because of what's going on in the world, because of what's happening with Ukraine. I got the opportunity to do it and I had to seize it. I had to do this because these people, these players, the people who work at the club, the supporters, they deserve to have their story told. And of course there are moments in that when you hear some of their stories about them hiding in basements, about their families moving away to live in Spain or Portugal so 
or or Poland so they know they're safe. There was a bit when I was waiting to do an interview with um, one of the, the, the players at the club and uh, someone who works with the club showed me their phone and showed me some shots um, that they had on their iPhone. And you know what it's like. That someone gets out their, their, their phone and they, they have like pictures of their kids and their dog and all that sort of stuff. And he, he flicked through that, this guy, and he had pictures from his home just outside Kiev on the day of the invasion and the day after the invasion. And one half of his street was totally intact. The other was decimated. And there were pictures of people who'd been killed in their cars, shot by invading invading soldiers. Because at this point, people didn't know whether the Russians were coming into the capital or or what was going to happen. But this was just outside it. And you're sitting there thinking, some quite horrific graphic images. And you're thinking, yes, this is a hard thing to to see. But it's not as hard as if that were your street and those were your neighbours or those were people you saw at the local shops or those were people who you, you, you worked with or they were your friends or your parents' friends. I only had to see that for a minute, whereas someone else, lots of other people, thousands of other people, hundreds of thousands of other people have had to live through that and have to live through that. And that is why the story needs to be told. And as much as we play on can be a football motto for Shakhtar, it can be a motto for all of us who love football because... There are moments in history, not least during war, where football, well, famously, uh, First World War, Christmas Day, uh, truce match or or no man's land match between yeah. uh, the English and the Germans or the British and the Germans, I say more precisely, is a moment where you stop and think, what did that mean to those young men who were about to lose their lives? in that war, it meant everything. We play on is a motto for football that somehow, despite everything you're going through, and some of the most emotional moments actually in the book is you telling us about what they have to go through that no other team has to go through to play a match. You know, in in a war zone where air raid sirens might bring an abrupt end or pause to the match, for mm. example. How on earth can you concentrate on the football? I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. I think the way the players explain that is we're not soldiers. We're not on the front line. It's still a privilege to play football. It's a privilege not just to represent your country and you know, keep a semblance of normal life for the people who are actually there fighting to go through it, for them to watch your games or hear about your games and read about your games. I remember just before the um, the game against Real Madrid, where they nearly beat Real Madrid, by the way, in um, the group stage of the Champions League last season, and Antonio Rudiger scored that. an equaliser right at the end, didn't yeah. he? And <laughs> His first goal since I mean, <laughs> Chelsea fans couldn't believe that he had scored. I, I, know, I know, right? <laughs> and it, 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 was, it was remarkable because there were some really heavy um, air assaults on Kiev, and Kherson, the, the city that got absolutely decimated during the war. 
a couple of days before that. And so I remember talking to Adam Crafton, the journalist who did a, a great podcast series on, on Shakhtar in the Champions League, um, about this tension around the, the training ground where these young players who are having to limber up to play against Real Madrid. And really, they, they can't escape from the news. They're flicking through their phones, um, reading about everything that's happening, um, watching reports on what's happening, checking that their family and their relatives are, are, are okay. And then they've got to turn up and, and play Real Madrid. But actually, you could tell that they felt an even greater sense of privilege. I think you always, like if you if you're a if you're a footballer to to play those biggest games, I'm sure it feels like. And I've spoken to a lot of footballers about it. You know, the old cliche about if you can't enjoy this, you can't enjoy anything. Is what you worked for since you're a kid. Those are the sacrifices you made in terms of not going out, in terms of training extra all those other things, spending time away from family, you do it so you can get to that point. But when you know what's going on out there, what people from your country are going through, and then you can still play Real Madrid. For them, there was never any question of them not doing it or of them saying, oh, we're not in the right frame of mind. But that never even crossed any of their minds because they knew what it meant, not just to other people, but to themselves as well. Just a final note, what can the world of football supporters, like myself, I've got to be honest, do to support Shakhtar and Ukraine? Just keep talking about them. Keep it in your mind, because this is a story that needs to be told and told again and, and told again. And the fact that they can carry on, you know, they're, they're doing their part, they're, they're still connecting with clubs across the continent, and football supporters understand that. You know, I, I think you look at the reception that the Ukrainian national team gets when it goes to places, and we've seen that in in, in England, particularly when they, they, they came over to play in Wembley and at Hampden Park when they played their first international against Scotland um, after the outbreak of war last year. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of good will out there amongst football supporters, and there's a lot of good amongst football supporters who understand everything that that these players and, and, and their people have, have, have had to go through. And I, I think to continue to play with them and continue to talk about it is is what you can do. Yeah, they can come over and play at Wembley any time they like, and I guarantee it'll be sold out as well. Shakhtar Donetsk, We Play On is the book uh, that Andy has written. It's out now. Shakhtar Donetsk fight for Ukraine football and freedom. Uh, Andy, this has been a special uh, OTC, a really special one. And thanks for bringing the book, um, well, to working on the book and bringing it to our attention as Thank well. You. OTC, of course, is back on Thursday, as usual. Do make sure you subscribe and listen to Ask OTC on Friday. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.